thinking earlier about a, a story. I believe, I know my parents read it to me, and I don't remember where it came from. It was probably about, I don't know, um, maybe 12 or something when they read this story to me. And the story was about these two brothers. And they were little. They were, they were about my age, I think, uh, in the story, 10, 12 years old, something like that. And one of them had a character flaw that caused him to always select the best for himself and even race his brother to the punch to make sure he always got the best. And so when they were offered a toy or a, a, even a candy or any, any number of small things, one of these boys would always lurch out ahead to take the best for himself. And his dad noticed that and decided that it was time for a lesson. And he didn't whip out uh, the Bible or building Christian character, but he went into his coin collection and he pulled out a antique dime. And he pulled out a brand new shiny dime. And those of you that know this, antique dimes were silver. Uh, our dimes today are made to look like silver, <laughs> uh, have very little actual value. But he went out there and he said, boys, I, uh, I want to give you a dime. And he held open his hand and, and, and one of the boys, of course, given his propensity, lurched forth and grabbed the shiny dime. And the other boy was left with the dull, you know, tarnished dime. <laughs> And they decided they were going to go down to the country store and buy something. It was when dimes could actually buy something still. And dad was like, all right, go ahead. You know, and, and the boys went down there and um, one of them bought a piece of candy for 10 cents. All right. And the other one, the, the, the store owner said, uh, that's going to be worth quite a few dollars. And there was this immediate disruption of expectations right about there <laughs> and uh, dad got a, a little secret lesson in there now, what I was thinking about is that you know this these two boys kind of represent something about most human nature I think and there's a there's this impulse to grab a hold of what we see as the best for us. Um, even we'll compete for those things. But sometimes our value assessment is based upon surface or trivial things. And the underlying principles in that little lesson was that greed can get you in trouble. <laughs> but I was thinking of it more like this. Sometimes the Lord holds out to us two options. And one of them is shiny and looks very pleasing to the eye. But it's just a piece of cheap metal. And next to it might be something that looks a little less enticing, but it might be the item of true value.
And I, I've been pondering something a little bit here for a while. And I thought, how many parables in the Bible Jesus told to tell us that the kingdom of God was going to be challenging? It was going to take longer to come. It was going to take longer to bear fruit than we anticipated. I think of the vineyard. You guys remember? He goes away on a long journey. Comes back a great time later seeking fruit. The talents. The virgins. You remember? Even the one about the seed of the word of God. A seed sown, carefully tended, grows and then bears fruit. And I was thinking about young people in general. I think that most of us in here are or have been that at one point or another. But I was thinking about there's this profound impulse inside of youth and young adults to circumvent the process. To lurch toward what we assess as the things of value. And be shocked when we're the one that gets the short end of the deal. Because we saw a right that this was the desirable fruit. I think sin began there. What do you all think? It says that the woman saw that the fruit was good. And that it was helpful to make one wise. And so she took and ate. And there's something inside of each and every human heart that I believe makes this value assessment. God offers us a tarnished treasure in our own estimation. Next to the world's offering of a very shiny dime. And we lurch toward the quick solution. The easy, the obvious. And we have no patience to discover the real worth of God's offering. Does somebody want to read Hebrews 11, verse 1? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Did everybody get that? Faith is a substance of things that are invisible and still far enough away that we have to employ hope. Paul would say, why does one hope for what he already has? I mean, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? So the very essence of faith is that there is something out there that we can't get our hands on yet. And faith assures us of this. Can you read verse 13? These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So who is he talking about? The heroes of faith. These are the, the patriarchs, the prophets, all those who have gone before the promise. So I want you to picture the promises of God as a package that has to be carried through the ages. The promises of God come to the patriarchs like Abraham. And every generation since Abraham until Christ, 
they moved the promise closer to its destination. But not one person who died, sawn in two, tempted, murdered, tortured, not one of them received what they believed in. They didn't receive the promise. But they saw it way out in the distance and they were assured of it. Are we anything like that? Do we have a kind of faith in God that allows us to hear a promise from God and even wait at all? Do we have any patience whatsoever? I can tell you this culture that we live in does not have patience. Instant gratification. That's really what describes modern culture. They, they have an attention span of about, you know, a fraction of a second. You know, I do a little bit of marketing. And if your customer is sent to the, your website, if you can't retain them in three seconds, you won't have a customer. Everybody get that? If you don't grab their attention and arrest it sufficient enough to hold them for more than three seconds, you will not have a customer. And the reason for that is because they're bored. They don't want to see what you have to offer there. Click, nah. Click, nah. They're gone within three seconds. That's what the world we live in offers. If I can't get you in three seconds, I can't have you. But when we come to God, we bring the same exact curse along with us. We tell God, it wasn't interesting enough to keep me occupied, so I left in three seconds. Clickbait, they call it. When you float something out there that's kind of interesting, it's enough for people to click on it, right? But if you can't arrest that person's attention and hold it for more than three seconds, they're gone. So when God offers a promise to a patriarch hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, millennia, ultimately before the promises began, and it's passed from generation to generation, that's a different mindset. People believing in something they'll never taste of. Being assured of it by faith. But they're never going to taste it. We say to God, give me, give me, give me. And if I don't like it, it doesn't come immediately and I don't like what comes, then I give up on God. I believe that at the seat of patience, at the root of it, is faith. And I believe that's what Hebrews 11 is saying. Faith assures us of what's not yet. We believe in God, and so we wait. We have a hope. We're assured of something that's not yet. So at the root of patience, steadfastness, endurance, is faith and trust. You see, the Lord doesn't offer us immediate gratification all the parables that I reminded you of all talk about delay. 
And there are more. And it says that he spoke one of those parables to people who thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. I want to ask you guys to ask yourself this question with me. Do I have patience? Do I have endurance? Am I steadfast? Or do I need clickbait to keep me going? You see, the trials of life come along and they hit everybody. They hit the righteous and the unrighteous alike. They hit everybody. But the Bible would say, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone. But the righteous stand firm forever. When the storms of life strike the wicked, it wipes them off the rock. But those who have that faith in God, they stand firm forever. Thank you, Jesus. I want to read the definition of patience. The quality of being patient as the bearing of provocation. Annoyance, misfortune or pain without complaint, loss of temper, irritation or the like. An ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. Quiet, steady perseverance, even tempered care and diligence. Do we have patience? When the promises of God do not appear immediately in our life, do we know what it means to suppress the restlessness that comes up inside our hearts? That tells us it's time to run. Do we see the promises of God as the reward For our obedience to Him? Or do we see relationship with Him as the reward? See, if the patriarchs saw the promise as the reward for their faith in their individual lives, then they would have had to quit because they never received it. So if I have this clearly defined expectation of what God owes me, but it does not come down the pike, then I have to doubt the giver. Do you understand? You know, if you, if you order a package from Amazon and it says it's going to be delivered on Monday and you check the mail on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and the package isn't there, you immediately distrust the sender. You say, they forgot to mail my package. Right? Or are y'all different? <laughs> but when God promises you something, and He doesn't give you an immediate deadline as to when that's going to come, 
And you check the mail every day to say, has it come yet? Has it come yet? Has it come yet? But it's delayed. As it would say, the Lord delayed in His coming. You could immediately begin to doubt the sender. You could begin to doubt your faith in God. You could begin to lose trust in God. I asked a couple people this week a question, and I, I figure I'll pose it to you here as well. Do you trust strangers? You're like walking through Walmart, just like, hey, uh, I don't know your names. Uh, would you mind just uh, taking my car to the car wash, use it for the day, just bring it back when you're done? Y'all do things like that? Y'all trust strangers? No. So when you say you don't trust God, what are you saying about Him? That you don't know Him. You're saying that you don't know the substance of His character and heart toward you. You give Him the keys to your life when you know Him. Do you know how you know when you've finally given control of your life to God? You don't know what's going to happen next. That's exactly it, Brother Judah. You don't know where your life's going now. I love that. See, have you, you, those of you who have your, have your license, if you've ever driven on an icy road or even a very muddy road, and you go to turn the corner and the car keeps going straight, <laughs> you ever felt that experience? Yeah. I'm sure we've all been in a car that was doing that even if we weren't the driver. At that point, you know that you're not in control. So when you put Jesus in your car, and you're driving through your life, and you turn the wheel to go somewhere, and it keeps going straight, maybe you're living for God. <laughs> but you better know you trust Him. You see, it takes a certain kind of trust, doesn't it? To let go of your expectations and your self-governance and determination. No one gets behind the wheel of a car and just lets go. No one does that. But in the passenger seat, we sure hope they let go. If I come ride with you to the restaurant and you're driving and I'm in the passenger seat, but I'm over here doing like this on the steering wheel the whole time, that's a problem. There's a conflict of who's governing where we're going, <laughs> how we're going to get there. Amen? But some of us live for Jesus the same way. We're, we're sitting in the passenger seat, but we're driving like the mailman. <laughs> right? Can you picture it? We say, no, no, Jesus is in the driver's seat. I just need to help him from time to time. He's, he's going to go off the road. Do you trust him? You see, when the mailman's driving down the road and they don't have one of those fabulous little cars, they're actually doing like this. They're driving from the wrong side. And I would say most immature believers are doing the same thing. They're saying, I'm in the passenger seat because I know it ought to be. Jesus is in the driver's seat, but I'm helping him do what's right for my life. I tell him I surrender to your will, and then he wills that I don't get married when I want to get married, so I pitch a fit. 
I say, I surrender to your will, and he wills that I work a job that I don't like, so I pitch a fit. I help him steer a little bit. I say, I surrender to your will, but I thought you were going to give me a family or friends or whatever. But I hadn't gotten those yet, so I'm going to help myself to something. That means we don't have faith in God. Not any. Because when it really matters, we took the wheel. When it was already going in the direction we agreed with, we didn't need to take the wheel. But when it disagreed with our will, we took the wheel. So then who's Lord? I was reading earlier today about the story of Joseph in the Bible. The dreamer, you remember? The planner. Hopes, ambitions. Whoa, what a bright future. Daddy's favorite son. God making promises to him in dreams. I mean, this is incredible stuff. I mean, so incredible, his brothers hate him for it. Must have been pretty incredible. He's 17 years old, and they sell him to an Ishmaelite, and he's trucked off as a slave to Egypt. How many of you know how long he was in Egypt before he met Pharaoh? 13 years. He's 30 years old. This young man went through bondage after bondage. Hope and dream deferred day after day. Misunderstanding, cruel treatment. He was forgotten in a dungeon for years on end. Nobody remembered him. Nobody knew his name. His family thought he was dead. What was he living for? The wife he might have someday? His brothers bowing down to him? You think that dream was just the only thing he was living for? What do you think took him from slavery through the dungeon, through the betrayals of his family, his boss, forgetting him in the dungeon by those who he had helped and loved? What do you think carried that man? I would say, faith in God. Because when his future was most bleak, he was still serving joyfully. He, the prison was so happy under his governance that when he walked in and he saw people who were not happy, he noticed it. Can you imagine a prison that was that happy? It's what it says. You can find it in your Bible. It says, he saw them and they had a sad face on. What, what does that mean to you? That means that most of the time, people were happy under his care. He brought joy into the dungeon. And even those he took care of forgot him. You see, you say to God, I have these and these and these things that I need to happen. 
You might even say, you promised them to me. But do you have the patience to wait until he gives them to you? Or do you grow restless with delay? You rise up and tell God, I tried it your way and it didn't work out. The sacrifices were too much and the payoffs too little. What are you going to say to Joseph? You see, Moses went through something similar. He was in the lap of luxury, but he chose to be oppressed with the people of God. To be reproached. And then he went away and he herded goats, and I quote the Bible, on the backside of the wilderness. You know, I would dare say most of us have never even found a place called the backside of the wilderness. It's so isolated and lonely, even Pharaoh and his minions can't find him out there. Forty years deferred promises. He was an old man in his 80s when the Lord finally showed up again. But we get so restless and impatient with God when He tells us to wait a minute. Wait a year. Give it a month or two. Do we have faith in God at all? At the root of patience is faith. Because when it's still not in our grasp, we know it's there. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. The Word of God says that a patient man is better than a fighter. Do we think like that? Are we out posturing and showing off our strengths and our talents when we should be focusing in and saying, I have no faith in God, no patience and trust that if I hand him the keys, he's going to do right with my life. Where does patience come from? It comes from faith and it comes from love. What's the first evidence that there's the love of God present. You remember what it is? Somebody? Love is patient. Love is kind. Praise God, love is patient. And we are so impatient. Where does love come from? That kind of love. It's the love of God. Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We say we're full of the Spirit. And yet we walk around telling God what to do and when to do it. What is the first fruit of the Spirit? That same patient love. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result, this is from the Amplified, of His presence within us, is love, unselfish concern for others. That right there, brothers and sisters, is the pinnacle. Learning how to love people more than you love yourself. 
unselfish concern for others, joy, peace, patience. Patient love. Yes. But he goes on to say that patience is a marker that we have the Holy Spirit. Mm. I love that because, see, now we know the one we're supposed to be trusting. Patience. Not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Did everybody get that? I didn't say that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Not the ability to wait, the Amplified would say. But how we act while waiting. Brothers and sisters, we can't help but wait. (laughs) I mean, you know, if Abraham started pining away, he wouldn't have brought the promise closer. But we have a choice in the matter merely in how we act while we're forced to wait. Patience is that determining factor. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think those things go together very well. What do you all think? That the moment we transition out of self-governance and learn what it means to submit to God in a place of faith and trust and patience, that necessitates having put the flesh with its passions and its desires to death. Oh, we're so impatient. (laughs) This word in the Greek that is often translated, there's a couple of them that are often translated as patience or patient endurance. Do you know what it means literally? I will quote to you here. It means steadfastness, enduring evils, to bear up under a load, to suffer evil, to remain under. All of those things, we don't suffer with our happiest dreams coming true, (laughs) do we now? We feel the weight that makes us bear up under the load when we are called to wait, (laughs) to delay satisfaction, to delay dreams and hopes into the future. Romans 5, 5. And endurance develops maturity of character. And that is approved faith. Okay, hold on. Endurance develops maturity of character. That is approved faith and tried integrity. So if we don't ever go through 
anything that requires endurance, how will we know what our faith is made of? How will we know if we have integrity? And character produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Did y'all ever think about that for a second? Character produces hope. (laughs) I think that is so incredible. Think about hope of what? Salvation. But we don't have character until we've learned what it means to endure hardship. Until we've learned what it means to be disappointed in our own ambitions, our own dreams and plans averted. We don't know what it means to endure or go through the trying times of our faith. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Perseverance, patience, endurance, steadfastness. They're all talking about exactly the same thing. This ability that God would grant us to live a happy, fulfilled life without our will being done. Going through hard things and maintaining that joy and love for God. Jesus tells the parable about the unjust judge. Do you all remember that? You remember that? He talks about this this widow that comes to the judge and he says that the judge is unjust and he doesn't fear God or man. So the widow's coming and saying, please make right this wrong over and over and over again and he is driven crazy. And he says, he says to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Oh, he's such a charitable guy. <laughs> what, is, what is he worried about here? Himself. But Jesus is saying, even an unjust judge faced with a persistent need could answer the need out of selfishness. But at least the need would be met. And he says, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? See, we believe that God is never going to give us what we need. Jesus is telling us here that that is not so. There's this quitter inside of us that when we're faced with the need for endurance or patience to deal with delay, this restlessness comes up that says, God's never going to give me what I need. 
Listen to what he says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then he says these most profound words that could seem out of context unless we've been paying attention. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Do you hear it? There's this expectation that we have that when we're faced with delay, that God is never going to meet our need. And Jesus calls that a lack of faith. Do you believe God? Do you know Him enough to trust Him? God answers the needs of His people. The ones who cry out to Him day and night. In humility, frankly, He meets those people's needs. But He tells us something right here in that last clause that indicates that this is going to push us to the very edge of our faith. Do we know how to wait? Do we know how to be patient? Do we know what it means to get out of control of our lives? James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Really that long? Yes. Mm -hmm. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. He's saying that there is going to be a need for patience that is going to extend all the way to the coming of the Lord. That we should act like the farmer does when he puts seed in the ground and waits. It's out of his control now, right? What can he do? He's dependent on the rain. And he just waits patiently for it to come up. To yield its fruit. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He tells us in the next verse to remember the prophets and the men of old. He goes on in the 11th verse. He says, as you know, we consider blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, if we didn't change our expectations of what these verses mean, then these little things about faith tacked on to the end about the unjust judge, this little thought about the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, it might not seem to fit, except that there could come this switch in our mind that looks at God the wrong way. We don't believe that He actually has our best interests at heart. So we have to lay our hands upon the things that we need most. But how did Job end up, right? Everything went just peachy for him, right? Y'all know your Bibles? Did everything go peachy for, for Job? 
No, Job's life became horrible. Absolutely horrible. But it served the purpose of God and he was fully restored. Because he waited for the salvation that he knew would come. My brethren, count it all joy, James 1 also here. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Do you hear the connection between faith and patience? Impatient people don't have faith in God, brothers and sisters. That's what he's saying. All these verses are telling us that impatient people lack faith and trust in God. He says trials are coming along to test our faith. This word actually is the word that's used to describe what the fire does to precious metals when it's heated and skimmed. Testing, knowing that trials come to test your faith, and that produces what? Patience. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I believe that this verse answers so resoundingly the underlying question of why people are so impatient. They are certain that they're going to lack what they need. And he says, after trials come and test your faith, try it as in the fire. Patience is produced. When patience is done working on you, you're going to lack nothing. You believe that? Are we going to let patience have its perfect work? Or when trials come, are we going to be blown away? We're going to be swept off the rock by the storm of life. Or are we going to stand firm and let the trial produce patience? Did you ever think that trials produce something? Something positive? Or they could produce something positive? Romans 2, verse 6 and 7. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by patient continuance in doing good seek glory honor and immortality he will give eternal life do you believe you can be saved if you're an impatient person no I don't believe so he says that he's going to give eternal life to the patient to the people who are willing to go through that process there is something inside of our hearts that I'll, I'll go back to the definition that is unwilling to suppress restlessness, annoyance when confronted with delay. There's something inside of us that has to take control at that point. Brothers and sisters, that has to die. Because that runs contrary to our very salvation. At the seat and root of patience is faith in God. Can you be saved without faith? No, I don't believe so. We want to tell ourselves that all the things I've done for Jesus have amounted to nothing. We want to say things like, I gave him everything. 
And what did I get out of it? We want to talk to God like we're bargaining with him. Is there any verse in your Bible that promises you that living for Jesus is going to be a cushy gig? Hmm? I didn't find that verse in the Bible. He, he told us this is going to be hard. He told us there's going to be trials and tribulation and persecution and struggles and woe. But we would have him. We would have the hope that through the relationship with Jesus, we could have eternal life. So if we go into our faith in God, our, our relationship with God, hoping for a cushy gig, we are going to be sorely disappointed. If we go into our relationship with God believing that we're buying good things from Jesus by giving Him our rags, we've got it all wrong. What could we possibly do to earn our salvation? I'm serious. We say nothing, but we don't think like that. Because when faced with delay and difficulty, we say to God, I gave him everything, and what have I gotten? Indicating that our giving of everything even touched the scale of what was owed. I gave him everything, and my life has been miserable. What do I get out of this? Nothing but a love and a relationship with God. That's the expectation. And yes, I know he gives us many good things that we do not deserve, but we should not expect one thing except what he promised. He did not promise us that life would be easy. He did not promise us that if we gave our life to him, that we would never have hardship or have to deal with delay or difficulty. He promised us that we would have Him. And that if we walked with Him and endured with patience to the end, that we could be hopeful of eternal life. As that verse we just read. Amen. Have you ever been tempted to say to God, I'm worked too hard. I'm loved too little. I don't have the job I need, the wife or husband that I need. Have you ever been tempted to tell him something like that? I think most of us have on some level. But I would urge you that that mindset is trying to get something from God in exchange for the sacrifices that we give to him. If we died a thousand deaths, we couldn't atone for one single sin. If we hung on the cross a thousand times for ourselves, we could not touch the need that would still persist for our salvation, to be cleansed of our sins. If we walked the hill to Calvary a thousand times, we couldn't touch it. Because we are stained with sin. It took the Lord Jesus himself. Because he wasn't. 
You see, so it does not matter how much this costs me. Because I am not here to earn something in exchange for that sacrifice. Only the blood of Jesus could cleanse me of my sins. All that I am here to do is give everything to Him. Because He told us, simply put, that He would lead captive a host of captives. We are His slaves now. We do not get to, after receiving some measure of faith and relationship with God, we do not get to turn around and then exact a price from our Savior. And tell Him I would, but. I will if. You see, the whole premise is wrong. We were slaves to sin, every one of us. Every last one of us. Irredeemable by our own efforts, at our own time, with our own hands. Irredeemable. But Jesus came and said, if you'll be my slave, I will save your soul. And I will love you and help you and empower you to be everything you need and supply everything you need for life and godliness. He says He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But He never promised us life would be peachy. So when you face the cross, don't ask why. Because Jesus already told us we've got to pick it up every day and carry it. Something has to die. It doesn't earn our salvation. It's just what the Lord requires for entrance into that covenant with Him. What could we give? What could we give that would even be dust on the scale with the Lord and His sacrifice and His love and His power for us? What could we give on the other side of that scale that would even be dust compared to the weight of that? Could you be happy with nothing but that relationship with God and what comes through that relationship with God. Could you be happy with just that? Does the Lord require too much? Does He? Does He ask too much of us? Does He ask more than He gave for us? What are we going to do when we stand next to Joseph or the patriarchs? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we talk to the people who were sawn in two? And we tell them that God exacted too high a price from us because He didn't give us the spouse or the job or whatever that we wanted. What are we going to do? You see, people have given everything for this opportunity. Not just for themselves, but to move the promise closer to us. All throughout history, moving the promise closer so that we could partake of the same exact grace that is even in our midst here in this room tonight. And they didn't get to have it. 
And Hebrews tells us that's so that they wouldn't be made perfect without us. God wants the big picture here. They didn't get to have it. We get to have it. But we needed them and they needed us to complete the picture. What are we going to do when we stand next to those people? If we can not be patient with the small and light requirements of our walk with Jesus. Does the Lord work you too hard? Do his people work you too hard? Do they ask too much? 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. <laughs> okay. Do you all love that? That the word of God commands that we be so firm in our faith that we cannot be moved. Be steadfast and immovable. Always excel in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Have we begun to think that our labor in the Lord is in vain? Oh, help us not, Lord. It is not in vain. We're not earning our way here. We're slaves to obedience, as Romans 6 would say. And that obedience leads to righteousness. But we are slaves, you see. You see? A slave does not get to tell God what to do or how to do it or when to do it or where to do it or with whom to do it. A slave just says yes to God. Your will be done. Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy 1.12, he was talking about being in prison for the gospel, being beaten for the gospel, being hated. And he says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, because he is an apostle of the Lord. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know in whom I have believed. We love to quote that last part right there. I know in whom I have believed. But he says, I do not need to be ashamed of trials, of sufferings, of imprisonment because of the God I have faith in. I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you believe that? Can you do what Peter said, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you? Can you say with Paul, I'm not even ashamed of rotting in a prison cell, suffering because I know God. Can we say that? Can we say that? That we know a God who's so faithful that we don't even have to worry about the things we gave to him. Because he's, he's trustworthy. He's faithful. So if we give him our dreams and our ambitions and our goals and our needs and our wants, we don't have to worry. Because we know him and we can trust him. I'll end with one verse from Ecclesiastes 7-8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. The end 
is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. I would challenge all of us in here to understand that pride is before patience. You hear the comparison? The end is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. We all start at the beginning. We all start with pride. We're telling God what to do, how to do it. We're all telling Him to meet our expectations or else. But patience is better than pride. Learning what it means to defer that restlessness that makes us challenge God, doubt Him, because the package containing our promises showed up too late. I believe that Abraham received his promises about 2,000 years before Christ. Do you think the package was delayed a little bit? He died and he didn't have a nation. He had one son. He didn't have a land that he possessed. There was no kingdom. He just had some shepherds, some flocks, one son. But God was true to his promise, wasn't he? You see, the package was delayed. 2,000 years. But Abraham died in faith. Isaac didn't have it either, neither Jacob. And on and on and on through the generations. The scripture tells us that the promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ. Every generation that moved us closer and closer to the fullness of time. They didn't have what was promised. But they held on to God. They held on to the faith that it was out there. And it was coming. Even if I don't get to partake in it. I urge especially young people. Do not get impatient with the Lord. He is patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us not be impatient with Him as if we know what's right from wrong because something seems pleasing to our eyes. The eyes of the flesh assess the trivial as more valuable than the permanent. Always, always, patience is the quality of being patient as the bearing of provocation, annoyance, misfortune, or pain without complaint, loss of temper, irritation, or the like, and ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. I believe that most of the time, when young people lose out with God, it's because they grow impatient with Him. I mean that. They think their life should have gone a different way. That things they had dreamt of should have come sooner. Even if God promised them, they want to grab it now. They don't want to go through slavery and dungeons and decades of delay before their promise is realized. They want to quit on the Lord before He brings it all the way around and gives it to them.
Are we impatient? Or is it enough to trust God all the way, all the way to eternity? By patient continuance in doing good, we seek for glory, honor, and eternal life or immortality. Thank you, Jesus.